Welcome to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. I am your host, Delenia Agresta, and I am a weight-inclusive registered dietitian. I started this podcast to help people like you heal their relationship with their bodies and food. Each week, there is a new episode that talks about different topics surrounding eating disorder recovery, diet culture, weight inclusivity, and more. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening. friends welcome back to the all bodies nutrition podcast this is your host Selene, and as always i am so grateful to have you here with me today welcome to day five of the 12 days of christmas before i get into introducing the guest for this episode i just wanted to let you guys know that for the past few episodes my intros were recorded while i recently just had covid um, I am now negative and on the route to recovery, thankfully. Um, but when I recorded those intros and outros, I had no voice and I was feeling very terribly. So I appreciate that you guys um, bared with me. Um, but so now let's get into today's episode. So I had on my friend, Debbie Sarafim. We met through Instagram. She is a body acceptance coach. And this episode is really great for kind of like a well-rounded kind of conversation about eating disorder recovery, diet culture. And Debbie wrote a children's book called Fat and Beautiful. And the Kickstarter to pre-order your purchase for the book is currently live. So if you are interested in purchasing the book, please go and check out the show notes. I have all the information there for um, where you can do that. And so yeah, let's get into this episode. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on for the holiday special. We are so happy to have you. I am so excited to be here. You can't feel like my cheeks are a little sore because I'm smiling. I've been smiling. <laughs> um, so can you give the listeners like introduce yourself, give us a little, you know, background info about who you are, what you do, things like that. Cool. Uh, my name is Debbie Seraphim. I am a body acceptance coach. I help women and teens and tweens of all sizes and shapes uh, make peace with their body and build up their immunity to diet culture. This has sort of been the the what that means what that means to me now versus what that means to me when I started has really sort of evolved and changed because I think um, my relationship to my body has evolved and changed and therefore it's created a space for more empathy and um, and more activism. I was raised by a mom who is seventy four years old and to this day still has an eating disorder. Uh, so I was put on my very first diet at the age of six. So at the age of six, I was taught that there are good bodies and there were bad bodies. And if you have a bad body, you should do the following things to try and make it a good body. Um, and so by the time I was a teenager, I had my own eating disorder, overachiever. Um, it wasn't just my mom's anymore. And uh, I started working with a dietitian and a therapist pretty early on. And I got rid of a lot of the behaviors, but I hated my body. I just hated it. <laughs> and everything... Every, everything was a calculated decision. If I go out with friends, is this meal going to be, am I going to feel too guilty to, you know, to enjoy it? Or will I have to wake up extra early to get to the gym the next morning? Um, and it was, you know, that's, I mean, I, that's, that's, it's so strange to me now to think that the, I remember those conversations playing in my head, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes more than the actual events that were happening. 
at the time. Uh, I came out here to be an actress. Spoiler alert, I did not make it as an actress, but that world really sort of reinforced the good body, bad body. Um, and when I was not successful as an actress, I became a personal trainer because uh, I figured this will be perfect. I can pay the bills and, you know, be flexible and go on auditions. And that's where I really sort of had the final piece to the puzzle come together because I live in Los Angeles. It is diet cult. It's the mecca of diet culture, beautiful model bodies all over the place. And all these women kept coming to me, all of them asking me to fix, you can't see air quotes in a podcast, mm -hmm. but fix their body. And I kept having that feeling of when are they going to realize I'm the fraud? And that's when it sort of, oh, that's when it hit me. The way we feel about our body has nothing to do with the way our body looks. This is a learned thing. This is a learned behavior. Um, it's systemic. It goes super, super, super far back. And that's when I started to sort of shift gears because I didn't know how I could continue doing what I was doing without propelling the myth that there's a correct way to have a body. Um, yeah. And so I started working with women and then um, selfishly, I started, my kids would come home from school saying, you know, different things that they'd heard at school. And so selfishly, I started reaching out to my kids' school and working with schools to start to change the language and their health curriculum towards a more body neutral, body diverse curriculum. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so now I do... I just kind of get in there anywhere I can find to uh, to fight the cause. And so I work with people, but I work with schools um, and, and I do workshops and all of that to sort of help people identify their fat bias so that we can start to heal from it. Mm -hmm. I just said a mouthful. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so good. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and I think it's so telling of where, whether you, where you live in like the country or the world like I've interviewed people on this podcast from like Japan and like other places Britain um or England or whatever it's called um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a geographical expert by any means um but I think it just shows that like whether you're in New York whether you're in California like we all like have a lot of similar experiences mm -hmm. And, you know, certain places it, it may seem a little bit more prevalent, but in like a different way. And you and I were talking about this, like the other week where we were saying, like, when you live in, in a place or like a town or a city where like everyone is like so obsessed with like being thin, being quote unquote healthy, um, you know, drinking matcha, like all mm -hmm. this stuff. It like, it's just so it's like everywhere. It is. You, you don't even notice. You know, it, it, now, now that I do what I do and now that I help people identify fat bias and diet culture, now I see it everywhere, which continuously blows my mind how much I missed before, how much of it was just normal, right? Yeah. And I mean, so many, so many comments that I still sometimes hear my, like, you know, things I used to say that you could, you start to hear slip off the tongue and you're like, wait, I, that doesn't resonate with me anymore. Mm -hmm. Some of those things are just in there, you know, with the holidays coming when, when my family was in for Thanksgiving, oh. even knowing what I do, even knowing the language that I use, there was still, you know, wow, I'm going to really have to burn this off tomorrow or can't eat for a week mm -hmm. and all of these things. And, 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 and I, 
it's hard not to take it personally when you, when you do what I do for a living. But at the same time, I know they're not really connecting the dots that, that what they're saying has anything to do with fat bias, right? These are just normal, unfortunately normal. Again, you can't see air yeah, quotes. Quote, unquote. <laughs> That's yeah, like normal, my, my most said thing, quote, unquote. Culturally normal, normalized, yeah. let's say normalized things to say. Um, and now I can't not hear them, but man, I mean, I, I, I used, I used to 100% subscribe 100%. Yeah. I think it's true. And it's like, like I tell my patients, like once you see it and you like take the pill, like, like as if it's the matrix where you like take the pill and then you see the matrix. I think that's how the movie went. Um, if not, don't kill me. Like I don't (laughs) Okay, so I'm not movie a movie buff, movie. okay? I'm not a movie buff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not a geographical expert or a yeah. movie buff. Yes, um, we know what we know and we exactly. stick to what we know. Ask okay. me something else. Maybe I'll know. <laughs> um, like once you take the pill and then you like know that you're in a matrix, like once you take the pill and then you see like diet culture and the disordered behaviors that are so normalized in society, it's like you can't unsee it. And also like a lot of these internal thoughts that we have, right? Like you talked about your internal voice, like Mm -hmm. we spend the most time in our own heads Mm -hmm. and that's like where we're the hardest on ourselves. So if you're struggling with like an eating disorder or disordered eating, like that was, that was the worst place possible inside of your head. Um, Yeah. I think what's also amazing is about, about the inside of our head talk is because it's inside of our head, we think we're the only one who feels this way. And when we start to vocalize it, you, if you, if you're open to vocalizing it, I guarantee you people are going to start to say, Oh, really? I say that too. Or I feel that way too. I think again, that was sort of the, that was the special, that was the specialness. I could think of a better word, but we're going to go with specialness. That was the specialness of being a personal trainer, right? Like that got to put me in a very unique position of it's, it's a, it's a role that people come to you because they're feeling vulnerable in their bodies and they're going to share those, that negative self-talk. And I think, um, most of not all, definitely not all, but most of the fitness industry really sort of preys off of that, right? Like that's the, Uh, that's the moneymaker. Uh, Oh God, the the louder this person's critical voice is. Yeah. Yeah. Right now they have like the signs in the bathroom, like, Mm -hmm. oh, sign up now to get a head start on like losing weight in Mm -hmm. the new year. Well, and I went on a cruise with my family and I knew there, there's always diet culture on stuff like that, but I went, um, we were getting, you get the tour of the ship when Mm -hmm. you first get on and here's this and here's that. And, you know, cruises are at least the cruise we were on. There was a lot of pool and, um, Mm -hmm a lot of skin bearing time. Cause it is, it was a Caribbean cruise and we were, you know, lots of families in bathing suits. It was a, yeah. it was a Disney cruise. We were on a Disney cruise with my kids, but, um, as they're taking us on the tour, they take us down to the spa and they're like, here's your spa where you can go for a workout or a massage. And right on the side, like right next to the spa treatments is an advertisement for like, uh, I'm, I'm, I think it was burning the fat off or something. Uh, it was yeah. like, and I was like, you know, it's no wonder that nobody feels comfortable at these all-you-can-eat buffets right next to the mm. pool when you've got a sign shaming a very normal body trait, which is fat, right? Like all bodies you have mean, that. like what literally keeps us alive? What literally keeps us alive. But that sign, and it's, yeah. and it was so interesting because, I mean, of course, it was, once again, being in the spot was being sold as, as self-care, but 
um, you know, with everything that I do and, and all the time that I spend in this space, I really like to let everyone know that I don't just always feel comfortable in my body, mm. right? Now I know as, as a body acceptance coach, as someone who teaches body neutrality and body diversity, now I know that when I get mm. that, ugh, like, ugh, I, oh, I don't like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be seen. I don't like the way this is fitting. I don't like this role. I don't like this, that, the whatever. When I get that feeling, because we all get that feeling. Again, that mm. feeling is not a symptom of anything being wrong with my body. And that feeling is not indicative of my body being too big or too, you know, jiggly or anything, right? That feeling is I just bumped into diet culture somewhere and mm. it leaves a little bit of that like ugh, gross residue. And so, um, so, so I was not perfectly comfortable on the cruise, right? Like I kept bumping into diet culture. Anytime I, I had used to pass the spa on the way to the bar. And so, um, mm. you know, anytime I was going anywhere, I would see this reminder that, uh, that's, that says over and over again, culturally fat is bad. Fat is bad. Yeah. Um, and so I'm allowed to be uncomfortable. What I teach and what I help, you know, what I help my, my women with and my students with and all of it is learning to assess in the situation does we've been taught that discomfort means something is wrong and we go into this sort of panic mode and all of a sudden you know fight or flight and better how do I fix it I better restrict better mm. but the reality is is that if you can sit in the discomfort assess whether you're actually safe or not and then if you find out oh I am safe here right like all my alarms are buzzing and says I'm not safe because I don't like the way my stomach looks but that, that doesn't actually put me in danger. Okay. Then I can proceed with what I want to do. And so you can then go on a cruise, uh, and be it an all you can eat buffet in your bathing suit and, and be uncomfortable. Yeah. And when I say, okay, again, I don't mean you have to feel perfectly fine about it, but it no longer has to be why you don't take what you want to take for lunch or why it doesn't, you don't have to skip dessert because, that discomfort is so strong that you think skipping dessert will help because you know that you have all the tools and the ability to sit in that discomfort. And I believe there is power in sitting in your discomfort and that when you can sit in your discomfort, assuming you are safe, um, this, what you find on the other side of discomfort is really magical. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I teach. I love that so much. And I, I like the way that you explained it using like a real life example, because I think people have this misconception and I don't know if it's just like on social media that like people in this inclusive space just like automatically like love everything about themselves and they're like just confident no. so and so this and so that. And like I, I, I kind of bang the nail on the head. Like I kind of say like I – personally take a more neutral stance mm -hmm. and like I'm okay with sitting with the the discomfort if I don't like if I find like looking at my body from certain angles to be triggering mm -hmm. and yeah. I think that you know recognizing that like it's just like when someone is in recovery from eating disorder you don't become just recovered and the no. same thing is with like body work. image Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like a sliding scale and like you kind of just like have to adjust 
100%. I always compare it to, actually I compare it to, and I always think this is funny that I compare it to this because I use, I I compare it to a professional basketball player, which if, if whenever my husband hears me make that comparison, he just laughs because I'm not a basketball player. He is, he, he's not a professional basketball player, but he loves basketball. Anyway, I always say, you know, even with professional basketball players, you can be a pro, you can be the best player in the world and you still need to practice during the off season. If you don't practice during the off season, even though you're still going to be good, it's not going to be as easy, right? You're going to have to work harder for it in the season. And even if you are the best basketball player, in the world. And then this is where my husband would be like, name the best basketball player in the world. I'd be like, just go with the analogy, just go with it. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, even if you are the best basketball player in the world, you're still allowed to have a day where you don't make your shots. Right. Like, yeah, we're not robots. Pieces, right. And it doesn't mean that all, it's not like, Oh, yesterday you were the best basketball player today. That's over. It's no, we're human. And so yeah. I think the same goes for feelings with our bodies. I, because I have taken a neutral stance, I have days that feel fantastic in a way that I never imagined that they could. I also have days that feel really, really horrible. Now, the way I feel in a day, like I said, no longer impacts the way I show up or present or, uh, you know, interact with myself, with anyone else, with food, with anything. And then I, I think it's really, really, really important for me to acknowledge that as I teach all of this, I am a person in a thinner body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've definitely been thinner than this. Definitely, definitely. This is this is one of the, this is a bigger version for me of my body, and um, and I'm still in a completely socially acceptable body. Nobody is gonna tell me I shouldn't order something if I ask for if I want dessert. Someone would say to me, "Oh, you're fine. You can totally have that." The truth is, is that anybody can, right? But yeah. I have a little bit more access as a person in a thin body, it's easier for, it's, it's easier for me to heal. Really. Uh, It's more socially acceptable for me to heal. People in bigger bodies can do the same work that I'm doing and have more obstacles to overcome in the process. Mm. Um, And just to sort of acknowledge that. And to also say as much as I've been in a much smaller body, and this is a bigger body for me, not a bigger body, really, really not a bigger body. I've seen the difference in privilege because I believe thin is a privilege. I've seen the difference in privilege from when I was smaller than this to what I am now and the difference in the way I'm treated. And again, if that's the difference in the way I'm treated in a thin body, I can only imagine how it gets progressively uh, more challenging as you're in a bigger body. So I think that that's all really important to acknowledge because you're going to have hard days right? And you might have obstacles to overcome that I don't have to overcome because yeah. your body is different than mine because bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So, who would have thought? Who would have thought? I mean, it's so simple. I Can know. you believe that like this much energy and this much attention is spent having to reiterate the most simple of messages? The mo- It's just, it is just so factual and it's just, it's been around for ages, but um, but we've been fighting it for ages. So. It's so exhausting. And it's too like, no one looks at your foot and it's like, you're a size eight. You know what? You should really be a size five. Right? No, you're done. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, totally. Nobody, nobody's like, why don't you try and shave some off of that big toe there? Yeah. See if you can. I mean, people, I think do, do that, which that's a little extreme. <laughs> that's true. Um, but, still. but, you know, I mean, but really, it's not required of you socially yeah. to do and so. The, 
Exactly. And like the average person probably doesn't have access to money to pay for a doctor to do that. Which mm-hmm. I don't know how well you would be standing and stuff. So I'm not sure, but yeah, she's not a doctor, you guys. And she doesn't, she's not a geographical specialist no. and she's not a movie. Bosh. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, you know, all those, I appreciate that you acknowledge that because there's still a lot of people who don't think that like thin privilege is a thing. And I mean, on the scale of things that I have to argue with people about at this point, like it's not, you know, on the the top three of things. Um, Yeah, there's there's so much to argue about in this world. I agree. I I think it's hard because, I mean, I have to even as I, you know, transitioned, if you will, from personal trainer to body acceptance coach and entered this world, even within there, like I wasn't, I didn't just start as an activist, right? I started as someone who was trying to figure out why do we all hate ourselves? Like, why is that? And how can we figure out how not to? Um, And I kind of feel like every day I become a little bit more of an activist. I think it's really when you have spent as much of your life as I spent chasing thinness and chasing it in a, because you believed it made you a better person, mm-hmm. right? Yes, it was, you know, you thought it was attractive, but like the reason that we really chase it is because we're taught, you know, diet culture is the moralization of self-care. And we're taught that if you take care of yourself properly, again, air quotes, I just, I just, there should be like a buzzer, like ah, every time. I know. Do I, air quotes. Think, I don't but, know how to do that, but maybe <laughs> someone but like, who's listening knows. Every time, you know, every time um, that, you know, wait, 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 where was it? Well, I just, I interrupted myself with the buzzer thing and I oh, lost no. my train of um, thought. Um, no, every time, you know, there's, that there's a correct way to have a body, air quotes there, correct way to have a body. And if better. you're taking care of yourself properly, if you're a good person, again, air quote, good person, if you're a good person, you're going to take care of yourself properly. And if you take care of yourself properly, it will result in a body that looks like yeah. the following. And so, um, you know, I chased thinness for such a long time. I was very much taught to always be the best version of myself. If I wasn't the best version of myself, there was much shame. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot of it was chasing thinness. And so I think that when you come to like, when you found, found the thinness, I don't know that there's ever a thinness to find, but when you are thin and people are praising you for your body for that and telling you, wow, you're such a good person. You're so disciplined. Your priorities are so in the right place, yeah. right? When you're being told that, and then somebody else comes in and they're like, eh, that's not what makes you a good person. You're just a good person. It feels jarring. It feels yeah. like, like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah, you're like, I worked really hard to be this good person. And, yeah. um, and, and it's not, it's not, you're not, you're not a good person. You know, thin privilege is privilege, just like white privilege is privilege, yeah. right? I'm a thin white woman. The way I am received in this world is very different than even a thin black woman. Yes. So again, different obstacles. Does it mean that I'm better? No, but, um, but I think, you know, thinness is something we've been taught to chase because it makes us better again, air quotes better. So, um, so yeah, I think I I don't think you can not um not acknowledge the privilege, but it's hard. I, 
for sure. I think it's important. And, you know, I think, you know, some of the pushback of people on social media when a person in a larger body talks about what you're talking about, they're like, so what are you saying? Like people who have eating disorders and skinny bodies or people who, you know, hate that, hate what they look like in skinny bodies that they don't matter. And I'm like, I don't know where you heard that, but like clearly no. your critical thinking skills are lacking. Like, <laughs> Well, I think again, though, I think diet culture is a product of a cult of a culture in general that has taught us to see things in terms of black and white um, and, and so I think that response is a black and white response, right? Yeah. Well, if, if, if I believe that I am good because I don't look like that, and then you're telling me that that's good, then that makes me bad. And I don't want to be bad. Um, yeah. and the truth is, is again, it's no, nobody has to be bad, right? We're all people. Bodies come in different shapes and sizes. There's um, enough bad, there's enough reasons for people in this world to be bad that have nothing to do with like the size of their genes. I know, I know. Which is insane. And it's just when you boil it down, it sounds so stupid. It does. It does. And damn, I was caught up in it for years and years and years. Um, do you think like having children impacted your journey? I mean, I think it 100%. I don't see how it couldn't. It was interesting. So when I first, my kids are six and eight. Uh, my daughter, Hildy, is eight. My son, Harold, is six. Um, and when I first uh, ha- had my kids, I was still, I was still a personal trainer. I was, I was figuring, I was, I was figuring it out. I knew something was off, but I hadn't put my finger on what it was yet. And I still you know, subscribe to diet culture. And I remember for my daughter's first birthday, I made a cake that didn't have any sugar in it, which is definitely like, you know, uh, I was, I, because I, as a parent, you know, you're also, you're being fed all of this information of like, well, you don't want to poison your child and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it, like and, people and, never existed. Right. Before. I know. And so, um, but as I, again, as I started to put the pieces together, when I realized that, again, the way I feel about my body isn't a reflection of my body, but I've, you know, I've always worried as a parent and I talked to parents about this. I said, what if, what if your kid felt about their body, the way you feel about yours? And, you know, so many of the moms that I talked to, they're like, well, I don't say anything. Like, I don't tell my daughter that I don't like it. And, and I was like, yeah, my mom, I mean, my mom said some stuff, but more than, more than saying stuff, honestly, she was just always on a diet or denying herself or saying, oh, I can't wear that. My outfit, my body's not right for that. And, um, and I kind of, am I allowed to curse on here? Yeah, curse? Curse. Yeah. Okay. And I was sort of like, oh, I got to figure this shit out because I, you know, I was avoiding certain clothes or certain, certain foods gave me anxiety. Yeah. And I was like, even if I don't say, Hey, Hildy, like mommy doesn't like this ripple in her stomach. Yeah. She's going to know, right. Because we know, like, I remember, from vacations with my parents, I happen to know my mom doesn't wear a bathing suit. If she wears a bathing suit, it's got a baggy shirt over it. And I know why, and it's not sun protection, right? Because if it was sun protection, she would ultimately at this part point, get one of those bathing suits, the full long sleeves, but no, we don't like, we don't show our body. And I know that when you dig for the reason why I, I know what it is. Right. And, and I think uh, kids are far more perceptive than 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 we would like for them to be yeah and so if you hate your body even if you don't tell anyone 
your kids know, even if they don't know that they know. I did, mm-hmm. I did a, I did a survey among my women that I work with. And I said, Hey, uh, what, where did you learn? Uh, like what's, what's something you remember being said? And I can't tell you how many, um, you know, how many of the women that I work with said something like my mom said, she, she one my mom said she hated her thighs. And then she felt bad. Cause I got her thighs, like, um, yeah. all of these sorts of things are sort of reinforcing. And then as the mom, you can't say, I hate my thighs. I'm so sorry. You got them, but yours are totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You can't say that. Right. That's and like so- the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like <laughs> th- that thought, I mean, listen, I'm not, I feel sp- particularly strongly about how parents make comments in terms of like their kids in this type of thing and so like I mean there's no other way to call it but like that's so harmful mm-hmm. you basically totally. said what you're trying not to say anyway yes yes and and I think again as as if we look back, this has been taught for generation upon generation. And if we look at where this messaging came from and where so many parents are trying to, to, they're trying to say, well, this was hard for me. Like my thighs were hard for me. So let's figure out a way to not make your thighs hard for you. But again, when you dig down, that comes back to the problem is your body. And the truth is the problem is not your body. The problem is a culture that's going to tell you that there's something wrong with different shaped thighs. Right. And so, um, I, I totally get where parents are coming from. And this was something that I was like, shit, I got to figure this shit out or, or Hildy's going to feel the same exact way. And the truth is, is that I can't guarantee that Harold won't feel the same exact way. Cause I don't think that this is just for girls. I think that, um, yeah. you know, it plays in, in a lot of different ways. I think this is where toxic masculinity can come in. And I think it looks, it looks different in boys, but this isn't even just girl or boy specific LGBTQ kids are the highest risk for an eating disorder. So, um, you know, so I think I had to, I had to get this figured out. Um, and I, I'm guessing that the activism sort of start like the, the activism flame, if you will, mm-hmm. started burning because of the kids, because of my kids. Um, and because of some of the things that he came home saying friends at school had said, or, um, or things that they had been sort of shamed for mm-hmm. in their lunch, or uh, I sent them, I sent them what would have been my fantasy as a child, but um, but I couldn't, I wouldn't be allowed to have it for lunch. I sit sometimes just for fun. I send them an almond butter, banana, chocolate chip, and honey sandwich. Um, and I like to do. It's a great sandwich to send when like there's you can't put a cooler in with it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's great for a field trip. They get really excited. There's some chocolate chips, but all of it's good. Um, I can't, I would make it peanut butter, but you can't send peanut butter to school because of peanut allergies. So we go with almonds um, and the kids love it. But my, my, one day my daughter came home and she said, my friends at school told me I wasn't supposed to eat the sandwich because it was Mm -hmm. dessert. And she's like, and I told them, no, my mom sent this, like, this is my lunch. And she received (laughs) criticism and, you know, we had to have a conversation about it. And we said, you know, food is food and you can eat, you can eat your food in what ever order you want. Again, this is where my daughter has been privileged as well, right? So because at the end of the day, when the teacher hears stuff going on, the teacher's like, you guys leave, leave Hildy alone. She's doing fine. But if mm. she were in a bigger body, I don't know mm. that, that would have been the initial reaction, right? It might've been like, Hildy, you know, we want to eat healthy stuff, right? And so um, the fact, and that was, that was in kindergarten that that was happening. And so 
again, you know, I, I very much realize I'm not the only person that they're getting their information from, um, but I have to give them the tools. I cannot guarantee. I very much expect that at some point my kids will feel shame around their body in some way. In fact, Hildy's very tiny. She's always been in like the third or fourth percentile. She's the smallest kid in her class and her best friend is the tallest kid in her class. And when they talk to each other, it's so cute. <laughs> My best friend up. is like almost a foot shorter than me. So yeah, it's, it's really so cute. cute. It's really, really cute. But sometimes, you know, and it's funny because when, when we, when, when we had her and she, she's been small since birth, and, uh, and I had the thought, again, this is my bias that comes in like, well, for a girl, it's okay to be small. Mm-hmm. Um, which the truth is, is it's always okay to be small. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times when she gets really, really sad about it. Sometimes she can't do something or she can't get on a ride an amusement park, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And this is when the body neutral practice comes in because she'll cry or she'll complain to me and I'll say, yeah, I hear I hear how frustrating it is. It's really frustrating to have a body that's small sometimes. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes having a body that's small is great, but sometimes, yeah. Yeah, you're allowed to be frustrated. I don't know that I would always want to be the smallest. And feeling that way doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with being small, but I totally get it. You want to ride the same rides as your friends or you want to buy that shirt, but you're not big enough for it yet or something, right? Like you're allowed to be upset about that. That's, that's really frustrating and upsetting. Um, and my hope, not my hope that the plan is again, that's, that's a skill set, right? Hildy being able to have the space to be uncomfortable in her body without needing to fix it. And there are my air quotes again, uh, fix it without needing to fix it. Right. And we couldn't fix this one if we tried, right? Like I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure there are actually, I'm sure there are some surgeries, none of, none of which are done on children, but like to elongate her, she's going to be, and it's, you know, my mother-in-law is 5'11 and my father-in-law is 5'5. Five five, so it could go either way. We don't really know if she's yeah. going to shoot up or not. You get what you get. And I don't love the, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Cause I think you're allowed to be upset, but being upset doesn't mean that it's bad or wrong. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So yes, I think that's parenting definitely... has really changed it. <laughs> I know. I think that it's important. I, I've a lot of my patients have recognized the harm physically and mentally having disordered eating or an eating disorder has had once they had kids, mm-hmm. once they've had kids, because it opens them up to like, wait, like, I don't want this to happen to my kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a really powerful thing because, you know, when we talk about, um, all these like deep rooted thoughts that we had, it's like literally these, these toxic, unhealthy disordered thoughts are built into the foundation of our brains mm-hmm. and how we look at everything. So, you know, you talk about catching yourself, having this thought or that thought. It's no wonder, like actively you can look at that thought and say, okay, like this is not a good thought. This is mm-hmm. not serving me. Um, This is like the disordered part of my brain, mm-hmm. you know, rearing totally. its head. And that's okay too. But I think definitely like, you know, we didn't have that space to feel that way. Yeah, um, and like, absolutely. I've always lived in a larger size body and I knew from being like seven years old that that was a problem. So like my whole life, no matter like how good of a kid I was or how well I did in school or how high my average was, I always felt like there was something wrong with me because I wasn't skinny and I mm-hmm. couldn't achieve that. Yeah. 
And again, the problem is not with you. The problem is with the culture. But when you think about it, you know, because I was I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, well, I think it's getting better. I think people are feeling better. So I, I'm optimistic. And and I don't want to say I'm not optimistic because I, I don't think I could do what I do for a living if if there wasn't some optimism in there. But I also have to point out, again, this is so systemic, right? Yeah. This is this is more than it's it's more than just body size. It is it is as rooted in white supremacy and racism. And it goes so and the patriarchy, it goes so far back. There is so much money invested in us not liking ourselves so that we can be sold a fix that, you know, I'm glad that people are feeling better about themselves. Again, I can't guarantee, I feel pretty good about myself and I still have some really shitty days, right? So I don't think that the goal is ultimately to have people feel better. I think that, I mean, that's a lovely side effect, but I think for me, the goal more than people feeling better is having the awareness that feeling bad isn't indicative of the fact that they are bad, right? And yeah. so having that ability to connect that. Um, so, yeah. I agree. Um, so let's transition into some exciting news, which I'm so excited about this. Um, you are writing a book. I a wrote a book. book. It's it's coming out. It's being published. Um, oh I mean, gosh. I'm publishing it, it's coming out. Um, it is called Fat and Beautiful. It's a book about why you can be both. Uh, it was written by accident, honestly, uh, because my kids came home saying so many things, uh, you know, somewhat, one of my kids came home saying so-and-so's mommy says that this, that pizza makes you fat. Mm. And I felt my, I found myself getting very, um, you know, pizza doesn't make you fat. There's no food that makes you fat. And then as I said that, I realized that also implies that fat is bad and fat is not bad, right? Like pizza doesn't make you fat, but if it did, that still isn't a bad thing, right? Both of those are true. Um, and so this book was sort of born after, born out of those conversations that I'd had with my kids that I know they're hearing from their parents. That um, And so it is a book about this adorable and gorgeous girl, McKinley, and she's looking at herself in the mirror when the book opens and she's, she's looking at herself and she's enjoying herself and she sings, I'm fat. And her mom walks in and corrects her. And she's like, you're not fat, sweetheart. You're beautiful. Um, and then McKinley explains to her mom in a way that I never could um, why that's not helpful mm. um, and why it implies that they can't coexist, but they do. And then she sort of explains to her mom all the different ways in which um, we assume we're understanding somebody's health just by looking at them, but we're not, and that we don't have the full picture. And it's it's simply stated, um, the illustrator that I found, I am in, it's, it's so pretty. I'm it's so such excited. a pretty book. Um, and, uh, and then at the back of the book, there are, there's a, a page for parents for six common phrases. I guarantee you've said them. E- I'm, I guarantee you've said some of them. I've said some of them, right? These are things that we've learned to say that kind of come out naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are reframes because as a parent, you will hear yourself say something like your kid at some point will say, I feel fat. And here's the truth, right? The truth is, is that fat's not a feeling that is that is a thing. Um, but we also all know what it means because we've been taught that mm-hmm. fat is bad. And so when your child says to you, oh my God, I'm so fat, 
you want to say, you're not bad, you're great. But what often comes out is you're not fat, you're beautiful. And what we're really doing is reinforcing that fat and beautiful can't coexist. And so this gives you a lot of phrases um, like that so that you can learn as a parent how to rephrase. And I don't think that the um, the goal is to, I, I mean, ideally, we'd like to never say these things again. But I do believe that even more important than that, the it's more important than never making a mistake is, is the repair work you do after. So as a parent, you will make a mistake. As a parent, I make mistakes, right? Um, and my job is to go back and sort of explain to my kids, hey, mommy said this wrong and here's why, right? And so there's so much more from that. So the book is, like I said, McKinley schools her mom beautifully I on love that. why you shouldn't say you're not fat, you're beautiful. And then there's some there's some phrases at the end of the book for the I love for that parents. so much. And it like, it just like is like, revolutionary to me that people are writing books like this um I did have on uh, a teacher she teaches um in New York and she wrote a book called embrace your features and essentially it's like a picture book and the um it like basically like reframes like how you look at like oh well a big soft tummy isn't you know um what is it called? Like unflattering or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and so I, I think it's just so great that like, this is going to be av available because we like, not everyone is going to have the lived experience of people who live in larger size bodies, but it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be taught. Um, you see my pug Penelope in the back. She's like... <laughs> That's all right. She's so <laughs> cute. No, I think, I think fat and beautiful, a book about why you can be both is a conversation starter. It's a lesson in empathy, right? I think, and I think, I think that that's what this is for. When my mom was here over Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. um, she got, she got the announcement. I wasn't quite sure how to tell my parents that I wrote this book. So she got the announcement when I announced it to the world. I sent, I sent, I sent my parents my Instagram announcement and I was like, look what I did. Um, and over Thanksgiving, you know, it's always a little tense over Thanksgiving because my mom still has a very active eating disorder. Um, and so she, she said, what's your book about? And mm -hmm. she read it. Um, I cannot tell you what her experience of reading it was because there are certain things that I don't think my mom and I are able to really talk about, yeah. but she asked me, she's like, why did you, why'd you write this? Yeah. Um, and as much as I'm sure that in her brain, she's like, she wrote this for me. She wrote this because of me. I'm a bad person. Oh, the answer no. is no, no, not at all. This, yeah. It has nothing to do with her. Um, I, you know, I very much am aware that my mom did the best she could yeah. with the tools that she had and that she was a, she's a, she to this day is a victim of diet. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, my answer was I wrote this because I think it's a book. If I, if I had had a book like this as a kid, I don't know where I'd be right now. Right. Like it would have been life changing. Yeah. Um, I, th I mean, I don't even know if I, if I had the time that I put towards dieting and restriction and hating my body, if I had that time back, I fucking rule the world right now I'm telling you, you like, like an astronaut or something. I could have been an astronaut or something I we could be doctors and movie buffs we and all, all the things have. there'd be time for all of it um and so I said you know I said this is a book that I think I would have really liked but also honestly I think this is a book that 
had my mom gotten her hands on it when I was a kid, it would have been an opportunity for us to have a conversation that was never had because I think most of the time I was just observing her behavior. And if we, if we had had this book, we could have had a conversation about her behavior. And even if she wasn't ready to change her behavior yet, we could have had a conversation about how that was a choice and not necessarily, again, indicative that her body's wrong or bad. This is just how mommy feels in her body, which is not the end. Like it's not, it's, it's a start. Right. And so it, it could, it could have been a conversation of, Hey, mommy's struggling to believe this, but I want you to know that this is the truth and we're going to, and you're going to learn better. You're going to, this is going to be an easier lesson for you than it is for me. Cause it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, but you we're teaching you young. So aren't you lucky? You're going to know something that mommy didn't know when she was your age. And so this is going to be easier for you. Um, and so I wouldn't need my mom to have, I still, I mean, I don't need my mom to have a good relationship with her body, but um, I think if this book had been around when I was a kid and this was a book that we had read together, um, I I don't know that my mom's eating disorder would have ultimately evolved into mine. Yeah. Because um, at some point, you know, her, her eating disorder stopped being, I mean, it still is hers, but like I took it and then I ran with it yeah. and it became mine and we had, I had my very own. Um, and uh, I, this book would have been permission not to take on her body shit right and just like, oh this is shit this is just shit exactly and it would have just given us a different perspective yeah like to just to have the representation of of a of a protagonist like yeah being in a in a bigger body and like living her life and I love that she she's the one who told that to her mom like mm-hmm. I, I am fat I'm beautiful yeah and I like can be both a- mom I make a point to say it all the time to like people mm-hmm. in my life. Like, oh, I'm freaking a stunning queen who's also <laughs> fat. And it's like, fine. Both are true. Because well, my, my whole life, ahead. I was, I was fat, but like accepting that I was and to, to use the word in a way that wasn't like, I never really was called it like being made fun of. I think maybe like one time in school. So maybe the people were nicer to me than other people were um, like their experience. Cause you know, like kids tease people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's just like part of who, being in a bigger body is part of who I always was mm-hmm. and to, like own it and say like, it's okay to be in a bigger body and to live mm-hmm. my life in a bigger body is just so amazing. Like to be able to mm-hmm. say that like you know and so when people I think one of the issues is like a lot of people and I'm sure parents say this from people that you work with where they're like oh well you know I just I really care about my child's health and being overweight isn't healthy and this is where we come back to be the term overweight and this was this this was a conversation at nauseam at my Thanksgiving feast mm. with family Um, but, uh, the conversation of, okay, overweight is a term based on the BMI, which has long since been discredited as a measure of health. And it wasn't even used on kids. It wasn't wasn't even used on women. It was like a small portion of white men that these self-reported data. Yeah. Self-reported. Yeah. No, they probably lied about their height and their weight. It's crazy. Yes. But but let's, but let's protect, cause you're still always going to find someone who says, well, then why do they use it in the medical field? And as I had this conversation with my dad, who's a doctor this weekend, 
And, um, and he, he actually said when I, I explained to him everything and I was like, yeah. it's, you know, it's been discredited and he's like, yeah, but they use it. And, and, and this is to give an example of how it's so systemic, right? My dad was like, but don't forget when I'm referring a patient, like for the, for insurance and for the policies, I have to check off different things that they, that they, that, that, that this patient meets and being overweight or obese or morbidly obese. Those are all things that as a doctor, if I don't check them off, I don't, I'm not reporting the information to the next doctor, quote, get air quote properly. Yeah. And also my dad pointed out, he's like, you also get paid from the insurance companies. You yeah. get paid for each ail- for each ailment. And so yeah. if you don't mark off that somebody is overweight or obese, you're not getting paid for the service. So he's like, so, the, which again, then we recognize there's money yep. in you thinking that your weight is a problem and there's money in the doctor thinking that your weight yeah. is a problem. Right. So when we had this conversation and my dad was really honest and he's like, yeah, we, we didn't learn this stuff in medical school, but you're right, Debbie, you're right. Cause everything I said, he's like, no, you're absolutely right. This is all based. This is a, a correlation without causation and nothing else is taken into account. And you're, you're absolutely right that the BMI was discredited. Um, but then this is, I think to bring it back, not to like make all things book, but uh, to bring it back to the book, this is where McKinley beautifully says to her mom, Hey, what, like, did the doctor say something was wrong with me? Cause if, if you did that, that's a medical issue we can actually address. Right. But, um, I always like to remind people, uh, and, and of course the mom is like, no, you're fine. But so then we mm. come back to, oh, then this is, this is fat bias, right? If, yeah. if the doctor says I'm fine and everything's good, this is fat bias. And then we also come back to, let's just pretend, let's just pretend that weight was a problem. Let's pretend that weight was a marker of how healthy you are. It is not, it is 100% not, but let's pretend for conversation's sake that it is. So let's pretend that when your doctor says, well, you're good, but I'd like you to drop 20 pounds in order to be a little bit healthier. Let's pretend that actually means something. Mm. We still, we still don't have a scientifically proven way Mm. to make weight loss sustainable. We have a system in which 98% of diets fail in the long term. So if you had cancer and a doctor was like, I got this great new pill, don't mm. worry. It's got a 2% chance that you're going to live. 98% chance you're going to die, but this is a great, I want you to start with this pill. You would say to your doctor, is there anything else yeah. we can try? That's pretty bad odds. We don't do that with with medicine, you know, we don't do that with fat because of the fat bias in medicine, yeah. but, um, but it's true. You know, if somebody diagnosed something that had a 2% success rate, you would, you'd be pretty scared. Yeah. Um, it just makes no sense. And it's like, like I've always said, like when you look at the years and years of research, there's nothing, there's no one specific diet or medication or anything that has been proven to have long-term safe effects and mm-hmm. that goes for weight loss surgery um, and that even goes for the weight loss medications that people are taking there is no study longer than two or three years mm-hmm. and so when you're talking about a lifetime of a human being we need you know long-term studies 10 15 20 30 years and it's just there hasn't been anything so instead of s- continuing to focus on the scale 
or the size of your body, mm-hmm. it's so much easier to focus on health improving behaviors that mm-hmm. actually that we know can promote positive health outcomes. Also, I say as much as thinness is a privilege, I do believe health is a privilege as well, right? People are predisposed to different conditions. I was born uh, from a family of migraineurs, migraineurs. Yeah, I'm turning it into it now. Uh, I was born from a family of migraineurs. My mom had migraines. Her parents had migraines. I get migraines when I, I've I've gotten migraines since I was like four or five years Mm. old. Um, when I talk to my dad about it, he's like, yeah, but that's okay. Cause that's a healthy person's problem, which is so interesting. Cause it's a crime. It's they're horrible, horrible, migraines, yeah, right? but they don't have the stigma that some other, uh, predisposed conditions may have. Diabetes is a predisposed condition. High cholesterol can run in families. All of these things that you don't have to be an, a- I'm not an asshole for having migraines. It's just the genetic, the way yeah. the genetic code worked out, boom, I got them. Um, and you don't have to be an asshole for any of these other things either. And even if, again, that's the moralization of self-care, right? You're a good person because you didn't get diabetes because you took care of yourself. But again, even if, even if these things, even if I, even if I gave myself migraines, I'm still not an asshole. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person or the morality and, you know, the inequities of health access and, you know, the systemic oppression of people of color, like all of these have real life health um consequences and outcomes that like are are just somewhat being studied so really like we need to just recognize that like some people have like chronic conditions some people don't and it's like a grab bag Mm -hmm. there's not one specific um, chronic condition that alone is found in people who are in larger size bodies Right. So. Or smaller size bodies for Correct. that matter. So yes. Yeah. We're just well, bodies. Just or just bodies. I mean, Fine. bodies are so <clears throat> diverse, but but if that feels like a massive conversation to start, I get that. <clears throat> and I want to say, even 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 we who we're professionals who spend our entire time in this conversation, and we weren't just born having this conversation, right? We had to find it. And we had to seek it out and we have to continue to perpetuate the conversation. And I think, again, that's why I wrote a book, Mm -hmm. right? Is because not everybody knows this is a conversation to to, to have. Some people know that this is a conversation to have, but don't really know how to start it Mm -hmm. um, and, and how to continue the conversation. And so this book is for that as well, right? It's not just something that I would have liked to have when I was younger, but uh, my hope is that it it opens up this conversation to families who need it. So um, a lot of people need it. Yeah. So I know, I know you're going to, I know you'll have all the information, you have all the information and you can I'm tell so people excited. how to pre-order. So everyone, please go to the show notes. I will have Debbie's social media links and all the info about the book so they can pre-order it. They can pre-order it. The official book comes out in March, but we are doing a Kickstarter right now to get the word out there about the book. Um, And you can pre-order and there's some very cool things you can get with the Kickstarter campaign, including uh, there's gifts for schools and all sorts of stuff to turn to turn body neutrality and body diversity into a national conversation as opposed to a small group of very passionate people. Um, I love that. So yeah, so that's the, that's it. And you'll have all of it. And I'm, um, 
I can't, I, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm already, I'm already working on the next book. Oh my God. That's uh, so exciting. I love so, it so much. I'm so yeah. excited. And thank you for all that you do. And thank you for spending this time with us. Um, everyone, please go and give Debbie a follow. Um, she posts so many amazing things and please go and check out the book. And if you are interested to pre-order it, um, I just think it's so great to support these types of, you know, small businesses, like starting out and trying to like spread an, a good message. We definitely need more of that. And so like, I'm super grateful to have you in this space. So thank you. Oh, I am so, so grateful. So grateful to be here. I've, I have to say connecting with people in this space mm. has been a godsend. Like it just, it, it is so much of the healing that I need. So thank you for bringing me into your space, for connecting me with your people, for letting your audience you're so excited blab on for an hour uh this has been a delight and it's fun I I've already I, yeah I've already told you we're going to be best friends I so. know I, I'm so excited <laughs> I mean I wish we lived on the same coast I know, but I know we'll we'll talk because I will probably have some trips going out to the east coast and then we're so gonna, exciting we're, oh my goodness we're gonna take this up a level and make it an in-person thing oh but, I would uh, love that Debbie thank you so much thank you to you guys for listening again all of Debbie's info social media stuff for the book will be linked in the show notes. So please go and follow her and check it out and stay tuned for the next episode of the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It is almost halfway through the 12 days of Christmas, so I hope you guys have been enjoying it. Again, if you have not listened to days one through four, please go back and listen to them. They are, I just love them. I've loved the lineup for this year. I spent a lot of time trying to find um, some new guests to have on for you guys, and I hope that you found this content helpful. Um, again, all of Debbie's social media, the Kickstarter campaign for her book, everything is in the show notes. So please go and check that out. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes of the All Bodies Nutrition podcast, please consider giving me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you were listening to this podcast. It always helps me and my small business, and I'm so grateful for that. So thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you guys for day six.